Hi there, House Culture listener. If you enjoy this episode or have enjoyed listening to other episodes in our series, please support and donate to us through the Acast Supporter feature. All donations will help us create the content that you love listening to. You can decide how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So it could be a one-off and every now and then or once every time you listen. It's really up to you. Click on the supporter link in the episode description and with Google or Apple Pay, it will take you less than 30 seconds to make your contribution. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Andy Manson from Clockwork Orange and you're listening to the House Culture Podcast. House Culture. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the House Culture Podcast. I'm your host and managing editor at House Culture, Matt Rouse. Thanks for joining us, streaming or downloading, but most importantly, listening. You should know the drill by now, but if this is your first time tuning in, where have you been? We at House Culture are a collective of house music fans who have come together through their mutual love of the beat to celebrate the spirit of house music. You can get your daily fix of all things house culture on our Instagram feed at housecultureNet. As you can see with this podcast, we've already built up a hefty back catalogue of interviews with iconic characters from the scene who have all been happy to sit down for a candid chat to tell us how this thing called house music has shaped their life. As you probably remember, in our first episode, we chatted with Danny Clockwork from Clockwork Orange. And in this episode, which is the last one in this first series, we have come full circle we now chat to Andy Manston, the other founding partner of Clockwork Orange and a DJ and producer in his own right. As you'll hear in this podcast, we'll discover how Andy got his first break as a DJ in Ibiza in 1989. We went to um, Ibiza in 1989. We were kind of out there with all the lads having a laugh. We went to this bar in, in the West End. I got talking to the DJ. So I was like, I'm a DJ. And he went, I goes, do you fancy taking over for the night? Because I want to take a bird over. So I was like, you're right then. So literally he shot off and left me there with his records. And that was my first gig, basically. What it was like setting up that first Ibiza Clockwork Orange party at S Paradise. Had a little Think about it. He said, right, all right, you start in July. I literally came back. I think we got back on Sunday. I went into it Monday morning. I had my notice in. Obviously, got my parents like my dad. You got thrown your life down the drain. You know, I'm like, I'm going, Dad. I don't care. I got to do it. You know what I mean? How he got himself discovered as an artist. I bought some white labels. It, it'd been out about a week. I think it had my number on it, and I literally get a call like out the blue. Oh, hello. Like, Heist the Ministry of Sandy. I'm like, all right. They're like, yeah, um, your track. I 
was like, right. And they're like, yeah, we want to sign it. And I was like, you what? As well as the effect that the relaunch of Clockwork Orange has had on him. Oh, I mean, if you'd have told me seven years ago, like when I was playing down my local wine bar to 20 people, I'd be doing parties at Printworks and Amnesia. I would laugh at you, you know? So it's time to get the other side of that Clockwork Orange story and also learn about how the scene and music has changed over the past 25 years or so. Here to tell you all about that is Andy Manston. House Culture. Hi Andy, thank Hi. you so much for inviting us as House Culture into your into your home here. Yes, yes. It's fantastic to be here. Um Obviously, you're one of the co-founders of the Clockwork Orange series of parties. Absolutely legendary on the scene. Obviously, our first episode with this House Culture podcast was with Danny Clockwork. Yep. We've come full circle. Yep. We're with you. Um, no, it's been a long while getting here, mate. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a few cancellations. No, no, much appreciated. Yeah, thanks, no. For, thanks for finding the time. Um, and you're obviously a well-known, successful producer and DJ in yep. your own right as well. Yep. Uh, we want to cover all of that. But okay. um, before we even start, I suppose, where did you first discover kind of music and fall in love with kind of house music and uh, repetitive beats? I mean, I was, I, I mean, I was heavily into music like from a very early age because my, my 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 dad was you know always playing music back in the day then we're talking uh, records on you know like on, on the um you know on his little turntable and that so I've, I've i've always been brought up with music from from a very early age me personally i kind of got into like a kind of i, I remember being about 15 and a friend of mine gave me like this mix uh, tape and it was kind of all the old sort of solely stuff i know it was like luther vandross and then it kind of went from there really and I, I mean my main kind of when i kind of really really kind of got into my into my music was was the early days of the of the hip-hop yeah. Uh, when Dave Pierce used to do Radio London, and and that really got me into the kind of um, I mean, what we call it? We talk about like uh, Biz Markey, Big Daddy Kane, God, uh, yeah. you know, like obviously Public Enemy, things yeah. like that, um, JVC Force, and it kind of went from there really. And that was basically, you know, I, I had a, a good two or three years, I think, just listening to hip hop. I, I just passed my driving test, so I had a, a nice set of Pioneer stack speakers in the back of me Fiesta. So we were, uh, I was, yeah, just driving around and that, listening to all that. And um, the way I kind of got into house music was I had a, um, a little Amstrad stereo. And what I discovered was, or this is how I got into DJing, if I'm honest. I mean, this was kind of my first kind of mix. So what I discovered, if you pushed in the tape and the phono button at the same time, yeah. the tape would play with the deck. So w- what I did, I was just fiddling about and I had a copy of which is like one of my first records that you, yeah. you know if you're a Christian was Nitro Deluxe Let's yeah. Get Brutal and what I discovered was I could mix uh, I had that on the tape recorded it onto the tape and then I, I mixed Derek B Bad Young Brother and it was in time perfectly no and that was literally my first mix yeah. and, and it kind of got me just fiddling about with just tracks and you know obviously I can only play them if they're in time because uh, te- I mean techniques did theoretically exist then but I couldn't afford one yeah, I was only yeah. like I mean I was 17 18 years old and yeah. um, that was how the kind of me getting into the, to the, to the kind of house sound started yeah so really. it's that light bulb moment where yeah. yeah I mean it was by pure you know I, I didn't really know anything about DJing if I'm honest yeah. I didn't want to be a DJ but I yeah. was just curious to I, I just used to muck about and, and yeah. it literally kind of happened like that you know so was that the moment you were like actually I'm going to bin this tape deck I need to get another 
another record deck. Uh, do this properly. I mean, not really. I mean, I think I was just like experimenting then. But it, I mean, obviously, the explosion of the um, you know the house scene in '89, '88, '89, and I was going out, going to, to clubs, and um, obviously that got me massively into the music. I then bought one Technics deck because I could. I worked for NatWest at the time, so I could only. Have, I think I could only for one. So I bought a. I bought, I had an SL1210 and I have my other deck still. So it was obviously, but I could adjust the pitch on yeah. on that one. Obviously was buying quite a lot of vinyl then because we had all the, the, the like uh, Tag and Quaff and all the like, like all the wicked shops up in, because in, I worked at NatWest Piccadilly Circus. So I had, right. I was like literally literally on the doorstep to Soho. So I had yeah. all the really cool record shops. Then it, yeah. And, and then, um, so I got, uh, I got another deck. So then I had two, uh, bought a mixer from um, Tandy. I think was where I got it from. You probably no one even knows what these shops are anymore. <laughs> but yeah so and, and then and, and that was it really so then I was sort of practicing and 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 just kind of just a bedroom DJ at first yeah, yeah and so the vinyl that you had you said you're going into these record shops in Soho and things like that were you going in there and saying I heard this track in a club I want this or were you it, just kind of like I mean it was a little bit difficult then because if, if I'm honest you, you you obviously you had no way of recording anything yeah so you either had to try and sing it to them or, you know, ask someone in, like, you know, not go up to the DJ and ask them because it yeah. wasn't really like that then. But, yeah. you know, just like, obviously you get to know what songs are played and if yeah. they were played on the radio. I mean, obviously the Pirates were going going strong then, Centre Force and um, Sunrise and all yeah. them, them old, you know, all the old guys. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, it was, yeah, but really back in them days, record shopping was literally going in a shop, being given a pile of records and going on a deck and listening. Yeah. And that was that was it, you know. And yeah. that was I kind of miss that in a way. You know, my my day would be going up London. I'm talking like after I've left left, left my job, but like my, my days would be literally getting on the train, going up London, and spending a whole day in a record shop, listening to stuff all day, and like hopefully finding some good stuff. But I mean, it was better in a way then because obviously with the digital explosion, you can kind of um, get anything now. Anything's accessible. Shazam yeah. it, bang! Yeah. If it's online, you got it, ain't you? Yeah. But back in them days, obviously there was promos. People had records that like you know other people couldn't get. Yeah. So there's a little bit more kind of exclusivity on the sets and that. And I mean, I remember getting a copy of 40 Miles Congress and it was on white label. I think they had 20 copies in the shop. I, I got one yeah. and then there was none about for ages and I had one and it was like, you know, and that's the thing like, you know, but now it's only been put on YouTube. You can rip it off of YouTube yeah. if you want it. Yeah. So it's, it's just easy to get anything these days. Yeah, so accessible, you know? yeah. It's hard now. You've got to like look for them tunes. You've got to dig, dig out the... Uh... Yeah, you've got to have your secret weapons, I suppose, yeah. haven't you? Yeah. And so you were kind of a bedroom DJ. Um, where were you playing out before started putting on events what um, came first i got a slot on a pirate radio station so that's kind of how it all really started for me a friend of mine was DJing on there and i kind of just said could i come on and have a go with him really yeah. and I, I did it for a while and i think i got my own show i mean it was a bit very very dodgy back here. i mean it was like in a really <laughs> where old, was it it was it was just behind the back of um Leighton swimming bars. There was a couple of estates over there, but it was it was like it was like taking life into your own hands going in there. It was really like in a like an old like like a crack out of space. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean. With a couple of decks on crates, and and you always had the fear of the old uh, DTS. They could come in at any time and confiscate yeah. everything yeah. and take your records. And I mean, they used to pull the antennas off the roofs, and it was it was carnage. You know, I mean, it kind of uh, got me into playing, and obviously it was kind of fun because you had the old you know, the old mobiles back then. I think it was yeah. even a pager. I think it was even before right. mobiles it was a pager yeah and the messages used to come through used to read them out and then i got um, so there was a real sense that you were actually put there 
there's an audience out there that yeah. were listening. But I wasn't really DJing. I, w- I mean, I was doing that, but I wasn't really getting gigs in. But the, my kind of, I wouldn't call it my break, but my first kind of gig was um, we, we, we and my boy, my, my mates, we went to uh, my Ibiza in 1989. And um, we were kind of out there. We were just like, I mean, God, I was 19 years old, young 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 kid, um, out with all the, all the lads having a laugh and that. And then um, we went to this um, this place called Sergeant Peppers, which is a bar in, in the West End. And um, we were kind of in there just having a laugh. And I got talking to the DJ. And um, in a nutshell, he was like, came to me. So I was like, I'm a DJ. And he went, I goes, do you fancy taking over for the night? Because I want to take a bird over and shag her. So I was like, <laughs> you're right then. So literally he shot off and left me there with his records. And that was my first gig, basically. So um, I, I played... Uh, I played all night. I mean, it's probably till about three in the morning. It wasn't even that late then. Yeah, and that was it, really. So um, the guy that I used to um, do the radio with, we kind of teamed up and um, started this act called The Atomic Crew. Of course. <laughs> really cool. And um, and then we just basically hounded everyone with mixtapes. And yeah, and then, and then I kind of, um, yeah, we, we started picking up a few gigs. I mean, it literally was driving everyone mad, ringing them yeah. up all, all the time. And um, I mean, I've done a couple of rain dances, I think. Um, God, you know, I mean, like warehouses stuff. Yeah. Just all over, really. I mean, I, I can't really remember... The, the venues but then it was a very very industrial I mean a lot of places then I mean they were kind of legal but they were just literally in warehouses and um I mean it was good fun uh 90 what we're we talking 91 I mean I was kind of really into all the old Belgian beats like all the old R&S stuff and yeah. um that was kind of what I was really playing now we're talking 92 the music was obviously changing then you know you it was kind of going on a I mean you had like that that Belgian beats and then the, the obviously the, the the kind of hardcore stuff was kicking in yeah with the Rat Pack and what they those guys were doing yeah but I was kind of like really into going to um Naked Lunch and um Double Bubble at the Gas yeah and I love that kind of housey vibe and I kind of changed my style then went down that route and and then this just a mate of mine said like you should try and do a party and I was like well yeah maybe you know I mean I'm, 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 I kind of not really ever thought about it and he's like like let's just so me and a, a friend of mine just did a it was actually a local gig in um uh, Chigwell you know uh, the rugby what's it, is it Amanda Rugby Club well they used to have a, a hall there and we did a, we did a party for 200 people and that was kind of it and I thought oh well I'm J- Johnny Big Bollocks now so I'm going to try something so I booked the paddocks this was um, pre-clockwork yeah. and the, funny enough I was because I, no we're doing this I was just having a little look because on the night that we did it it was the night that the um, the Bishopsgate bomb went off so literally we I remember pulling up at the venue so we had I had a really good lineup. I had like Simon Anson Lawrence Nelson it was a decent lineup. yeah um, a few other guys and literally we pulled up outside the club and we had this massive bang and the mate that was in the car with me used to be in the army and he went to me that was a bomb and I'm like shut up man you're talking about a fucking bomb you know what I mean and um, literally we were sitting there and within 10 minutes of being out of the car about a thousand police cars fire engines and bloody hell <laughs> literally they put a ring of steel around the whole of the lit London yeah. and no one could get to the party oh, shit. so there's about 20 people in there so it was an absolute <laughs> disaster so uh, that was my kind of. That was um, your first party. Well, my my first kind of real taste of promotion. Yeah. Wow. So it was, uh, yeah. Well, the only ways up. Well, that's it. You know, I mean, obviously, it was very, very disheartening. I mean, I, to be fair to like the guys, they 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 kind of um, well, they couldn't have got paid anyway because I didn't have didn't have any money to pay them. But they were um, they were you know they were okay. I mean, obviously, they were yeah. pissed off. But it, look, you know. Force majeure and all that. Well, yeah, what can you, you know? do? Yeah, so that was kind of 92 that happened. And then I met Danny. Yeah. So we, we kind of met 
by chance really so um danny used to go to naked lunch i was at naked lunch and michael my friend um who i used to go clubbing with just said oh you're not gonna believe this this guy's just literally run up to me and give me a bag of something and said i've got to go to the security just about to throw me out so they were chasing him around the club so he's like meet me at hollywoods and, and give them back to me so we kind of um like anyway danny got thrown out got caught yeah got thrown out so we arranged to meet him at hollywoods the following thursday and, and my literally my first meeting of danny was um walking into Hollywoods in Romford and uh, he went alright mate yes I'm like who are you so I'm like I'm Andy so he's like alright do you want a drink so I'm like yeah alright then so he literally leant over the bar picked up a bottle of whiskey gave it to me next thing about eight bouncers just literally flew into us and we were both just standing outside like and that was that was kind of how I, how I met him and then we kind of hanged out a little bit with him and then like that was when my mates were kind of going to me we should do we should do a party you know and I was like oh, I'm not sure you know I've done one before and it went really bad and I was a little bit like you know kind of thing and so I, it was me Michael Munn a friend of mine another guy called Andy Blumpson so us three were kind of like let's do a party and I was like well look we really need someone involved in this who knows everyone and I'm like well it's got to be that geezer Danny and he knows everyone you know what I mean he's like man about town and so we kind of said to him do you want to do it and again he was a little bit like oh, I'm not really sure yeah and I said well look come on let's 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 have a go at it yeah so we kind of decided we was going to do a night we had no idea what we were going to call it we, 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 the original name we actually came up with which was called Baby Love. And we were <laughs> like, it was like, oh my God. So he's like, let's go up London and, and we'll go and just try and get some ideas. So we were going in the old cinema graphic shops, looking at all these different like steals from films and stuff like that. And then we kind of was just standing there and literally um, we pulled out the picture of the, um, the it's, a, it's a glass with a set of full teeth in it mm. with Alex's bowl of happy on it. Yeah. And we all just looked at each other and went, clockwork orange. And that was literally how, how we came up with a name. I mean, obviously at the start we did used to use quite a lot of the um the the the, the stills and the imagery from the film yeah because they did look pretty cool i mean yeah. obviously it's got a pretty evil undertones of the film and yeah. that but you know it was never kind of i know some people said no oh, i'm not going to that it's, i mean yeah some some djs i won't mention but refused to play for us for a few years because no of the, the name and they associated with the film oh, we had a few wow. djs that wouldn't um wouldn't dj for us yeah so we we got the paddocks again so yeah. i went back to the paddocks so when was that was that was that 93 93 23rd of january yeah 1993 was the first party yeah um, so who was playing at that who's on the oh list God, we had Lisa Loud Darren Emerson was on the flyer but I don't think he actually did it <laughs> totally grimly I mean to be fair we didn't really Brandon did it Brandon Block yeah. and we didn't really have a, a massive lineup because it wasn't really a massive party it was kind of just a friends thing and we, we rallied up I mean probably if I'm honest there probably was more than four or five hundred people in there I mean not a bad start for a first promotion but it was obviously a good night and that yeah and that and that was that so we did another one there couple of months later which again I think we had Rockin' Diesel and Kevin Hurry and Kevin Swain DLP yeah, no way. yeah um, and were you DJing as well yeah I was always DJing yeah. Yeah. I mean Danny didn't used to DJ no. then. I mean Danny kind of was a late late bloomer so um <laughs> Can you remember what kind of music you're playing? Is there anything that stands out? A song that I can remember. I can remember a song I played at the first ever Clockwork, which was a song by, it's called, it was by Le Turc or Blue. And it was I in, lo- I you know that, that song? Yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah, it's it was in the, instinct, um, isn't it? the Sharon Stone film, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I remember, yeah. still remember that down. So good. I've got it some, I mean, I've got my vinyls all put away, but I've yeah. still got it all. Yeah. Outrage. Drives me crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, like you know, obviously you go through so much yeah, music. Yeah, There's yeah. still the, the big ones that you kind of and and then yeah. So then we moved on to I think we did a small little basically club called Chinichita, which was a club around the back of um, Debenhams, like around the back of there, and it had a train in it. I always remember it had a train 
in the in the venue. It was a really, yeah. really really quirky little venue, and and that was kind of when Danny's like like we need to go to Ibiza, and I'm like, well, I was I was still working at Nat West, and um, Danny had basically lived in Ibiza. He was like going out there every summer, spending the summer there, yeah. you know, doing what he does, and just like you know being complete lunatic and whatever and that was kind of um, yeah so he was like yeah we need to go to Ibiza and do parties I'm like yeah but I've got a job and he's like yeah yeah fuck that just leave and I'm like yeah but come on mate you know what I mean so I said well look let me so I, had a, I, I knew Brandon then because obviously Brandon had played for us a couple of times so I said let me have a chat with, with Brandon so I called up Brandon and said look we're thinking of going to Ibiza Any, anyone you could maybe recommend us to like he said we like want to do nights and he said well why don't you um Go go and see Yes Parody. So we were like, yeah, right then. So he, he arranged, um, he arranged for us to deal with her at the time was a well, she was Miss Bisto at the time, or Claire, who's now Clara de Costa. So I kind of sent her. She's still got the facts that I sent her from NatWest. The facts. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> we'd like to come and do parties at your club. So, um, so she basically said, well, come out and meet me, and then come and meet Pepe, the owner. Let's see if we can sort something out. So we, we flew out there, I think, on a, a Tuesday or something. I mean, it was like early May. I mean, it was so different. And I remember sitting down. Um, down at Cafe de Mar, Mambo's didn't even exist then. Yeah, yeah. And it was literally me and Danny, and it was like it was dead. You know, not a soul about like a ghost town compared yeah. to what you know what it's like now. Um, and then so we met her down there. Had a had a like a coffee or beer, or whatever. I can't remember. It was I think it was like mid afternoon. And then she's like, right, okay, we'll go and meet Pepe tomorrow. So we went into um to S Parody, sat down with Pepe, and he's like, um, what do you do? So we're like, well, we do da 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 da. You know, we've got this, we've got that. Um, and he was like, okay, so um, uh, what are you gonna do you know what you're going to bring to us parody so we was like well we're going to bring english djs over because they'd never kind of really had that there before yeah you know they had they had nights in there that, that like black and white which tommy matt used to run but they didn't really bring guest djs in so we were like well we're going to bring in like um you know big english djs that's our plan he was like all right so literally had a little thing about it. he said right all right you start in july <laughs> and that was it so uh, I literally came back, I think we got back on Sunday. I went into work Monday morning, I had my notice in. Obviously got my parents like, my dad, you've got to throw your life down the drain. You know, I'm like, <laughs> I'm going, dad, I don't care. I've got to do it. You know what I mean? So, um, so yeah, quick as that. It was, it was literally, yeah. yeah, got back middle of May, handed in my notice, worked a month uh, and then went to my beef so when you went out there you worked in the bank when you came back you were a club promoter yeah basically basically yeah wow I mean did you feel when you were out there at that time kind of negotiating that for those first kind of events did you feel like you were on the blag a bit still or were you like oh, I, I mean we had here. contacts with all the DJs so not really I mean they were I mean to be fair yeah it was easy because to be fair no one was really coming to IB for yeah. then I mean obviously you had the likes of Oki like you know the guys that were with Coxie was out there doing um, he was actually doing the Star Cafe which was the club across the road from from, yep. from S Paradis so DJs were out there but none of our DJs had, had, had been there I don't think Judge Jules had even been to Ibiza I mean he'd been yeah. to Ibiza I'm pretty sure it, the first gig he ever did was I mean we had John Digweed first ever gig he's ever played in Ibiza was for Clockwork um, <gasps> so that, I mean I had like that year we had some amazing DJs really that we pulled those guys but they everyone was like up for it because it was so different then so it wasn't I mean it, we, we, it was run like a circus to be honest we had a, like that the first few years we lived in a shithole in San Antonio I mean I still remember the, t- the story we, we we got kicked out of our apartment because we'd basically made too much noise or done something and we had John Digweed staying with us and literally the day we got kicked out I'll, I'll never forget this we're sitting 
in the middle of the square with all our bags and we ain't got nowhere to stay with, with John Digweed. I mean, it's like, you can't make it up, really. <laughs> so I remember my mate going to Danny, what the fuck are we going to do? He's like, we've got nowhere to stay. Dan's like, listen, don't worry about it. I'll sort something out. And like, like we've like one of the biggest DJs, not like, I mean, obviously he was up and coming then, but yeah, yeah. So uh, it was just, it was just literally at that time, boys on holiday, because we were just on holiday running a club. And I mean, I don't even know what the numbers were like. It wasn't packed in there. It was probably... Again, it was probably about four or five hundred people, but we used to think it was rammed because yeah. we didn't know any different. And so that was that. Um, what was that? Then, sorry, what was that first year? What year 90, was that? Ninety-four. And we started in ninety-three. Did did some parties and to be and so obviously we did we did a. Um, I think the season then was literally we started about mid July and I think we ended late August. It was like we did seven or eight weeks. It wasn't a long. We didn't do a long season, but we did the, we did the season. We done well, and then I remember coming back from Ibiza. We had a party at Maximus in September and we literally were getting the club ready blah 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 blah. we walked upstairs at 10 o'clock opened the doors and there was a queue down the street it was just like wow, wow. you know yeah. what's going on here and that was kind of the change yeah you know, we'd gone from kind of being a whatever to all of a sudden obviously the people that have been to IB for liked it and like oh look these guys got a party on in London yeah and and that was it then really um so we, we kind of um and was it an audience the the London audience for that reunion stuff or was it people that were kind of <sighs> living in London do, do, I mean it's very very difficult like? to gauge where they are from because yeah. it's easy these days with social media yeah. but them days it was I mean I, the, the promotion then was stand outside a club till six o'clock in the morning giving out flyers and put flyers in envelopes and lick six thousand stamps yeah, you know, and that's as crude as it sounds. We used to spend yeah. three or four days packing envelopes. I'll tell you one really funny story. So once we were supposed to be, um, I was doing, um, so I said to Danny, right, you do ministry, I'm going to do gardening club, and um, da da da. So I said, you do that one. So I'm standing outside gardening club, giving out flyers, and he comes out out of his nut, out of the club. I'm flying. <laughs> so I'm like, Dan, what the fuck? You're supposed to be at ministry. He's like, oh, I forgot. You know what I mean? So yeah, so um, it was uh, it was it was fun then because we used to go out literally with come out of Hollywood we used to go Hollywood every Friday like like it was our kind of religion to go there and then we literally come out of um, there at two o'clock in the morning we used to go and um, so we had like the A whatever the A4 A5 flyers and we used to go and nickel the the gloves from the garages what you put because we found that the, we found that the flyers fitted in the gloves we used to go and nickel the gloves from all the local garages put the flyers in just in case it rained and then put them all under the windscreen wipers in like ministry and, and that was our Friday night so we'd literally drive around London Friday night till about 7 in the morning go to Brick Lane get a bagel and then um, go home and that was like we did that literally for, for years Yeah. for years probably you know four or five years just doing that same ritual every Friday and then going and doing a few clubs and then yeah. obviously Flying Squad started so it made our lives a little easier because yeah. they took control of doing the packs and that so we didn't have to stand outside so 90 i mean 94 95 we then got in the cross yeah so we again we someone said oh, i was this wicked little cub oh, i used to love that place yeah, i mean that it's our home really yeah. i mean it's where we kind of where we've done all our amazing you know i mean look we've done some amazing parties but yeah. that was what where it kind of really kicks in and then and then and it's the same thing literally someone does oh, this wicked club in king's cross and literally done the same we just bowled up there one night walked in there uh it was a friday night and we're like hello we're, we won clockwork coins you're like who clockwork what and we're like oh we do parties and they're like oh where have you done parties and we're like so we've done a couple of paddocks so we, we we literally went out the back met jamie who was the manager and he was 
like, oh, um, yeah, this is Billy, Billy, uh, Billy Riley, the owner. And we were like, just going, yeah, yeah, we're doing really cool parties, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, oh, I'll give you a date. I mean, this was well before they even had probably regular nights in there. It only just opened. So we got the, the opportunity to do that. And we had um, John Digweed gameplay that. And it was just, I mean, that was kind of when it was kind of becoming, uh, we were pulling in some really good DJs and it, yeah. and it just went, went mad. I mean, we were doing very, very well there. And then this the, the big game changer, which was when it went like kind of stratospheric was... So '96, we were um, we were at S Paradis, and we got basically um, approached to do I Beef Uncovered. So that kind of obviously was running through. That started around June. I remember them filming in Ibiza. So obviously we was we was on that. We were we were a pretty big part of it, and um, we were doing. I think we were averaging twelve hundred whatever a, a, ever a night. You know, like doing okay, decent parties, really good vibe. And I mean, it was always good clockwork. And then um, obviously I Beef Uncovered coming out. I remember I remember. Us all going to a bar and literally watching the first episode, and then um, we were on it. And literally, from the moment that came on and Clockwork was on it, this was like I don't, I don't think it was aired till late August. First week of September, we had three and a half thousand people in there or something like that. It literally just went ballistic, and that was it. Then that was the kind of yeah. That was the changing point. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, yeah, it's almost like free advertising for this great party yeah. across like a big yeah. time. TV and obviously, show. Danny kind of um, was obviously funny and yeah. like kind of come across as the kind of cheeky yeah. Essex chappy. Yeah. So it kind of that was kind of it really, and that was then when we kind of really in, it stepped up into the into the big league. Yeah. So that was '96. Have you um, watched any of that Ibiza? I kind of watch it, but <laughs> I mean, I'm not even. The funny thing was, it was actually supposed to be me that was supposed to be on it, but yeah. um, I had a bit of a heavy night the night before. <laughs> And if you look really closely, you can kind of see me lying on a sunbed, like like rolling around. And they're like, "Well, he can't film," so they're like, "Oh, he's going to have to do it." So Danny, Danny got the job basically. It was like, so uh, I mean, we should have really done it together, but because he obviously did the initial filming, yeah, there's not much point in me um, jumping in and going, yeah. "Hello," you know. Yeah. So no, listen, it, it it was good for us. I mean, obviously, it didn't get great press because they kind of did make everyone look like, you know, I mean, the the, the, the problem is with them things they sell by the kind of shock factor, and that's the thing, isn't it? You know, people don't want to see normal stuff. I don't want to see outrageous stuff and that, that unfortunately was what I Beef Uncovered was. Yeah, so that's that's and then and then we kind of entered into the, the 97, 98 where we we were then doing um I mean obviously it exploded by then we were doing Cannon Palace, you know, Hollywood's and Ron for like really big parties, you know, I'm talking like, you know, two thousand, three thousand parties, loads and loads of tour dates. And then and I mean and then it was obviously flying, we were doing really well. I mean obviously you you've spoke to Danny, you know Danny's yeah. um implosion. So that was the problem. Danny obviously I mean, listen, look, don't get me wrong, we was all as bad as each other, but we were living like, you know, um, rock stars and living the life of rock stars and, yeah. um, you know, losing track of what... Um, what we really should have been doing. I mean, we were only young. We was, yeah. I, mean, I was, I was twenty, twenty-three when I started clockwork. I mean, we were twenty-eight, twenty-nine then. We were up. We were getting old, but we yeah. still were living like complete lunatics. Yeah. And Danny was obviously like losing the plot and yeah. getting gradually worse and worse. And 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 then obviously the main thing that like you know this is the kind of this is the uh, Goodfellas moment now when yeah. it goes. And then uh, and then um and then like ninety-nine we 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 got to Ibiza and basically we were like kind of told um we need to go to court. What have we got to go court for? They're like, well, you're not allowed to use your name. We're like, what? Yeah, someone in Benidorm owns Clockwork Orange and you're not allowed to use it. We're like, what was it? I thought so. We were just like, we don't understand it. So we got all these court papers. So we went to court. And in a nutshell, this guy had, um, I mean, this was a massive thing back in the day if he was around everyone. I mean, it literally trademarked Clockwork Orange, Miss Money Pennies, Gate Crasher, Cream, Manumission. And he'd literally taken a copy of Mix Mag, photocopied our logo. And trademarked it. No way. And and we would like literally in court going, but we own it. And the judge is like, 
I know, but you can't use it. And it was literally like, if you use it, the police will come. If you if we see any advertising with it on, any banners in the club, the police will come and stop you. So we literally, literally were like, you know, what the fuck? Yeah. We were like, we've lost our name. No way. And a couple of the, I mean, I don't know the, the full extent, but it was probably that. Well, I mean, I know what he was, he, he, you know, he wanted us to pay him 30 grand yeah. a season to use it. And we were like, fuck off. You know, but I know a, a, a couple of the other promoters got theirs back. I don't know how, what they did, but there was court cases going on and it was an absolute mess. And, and to be honest, it totally, it totally ruined yeah. us. Yeah. Because we had to change the name. We had to call it the Orange Summer of Love. We had to just, and, and the thing was, people didn't know, it, as stupid as it sounds, people didn't come because they didn't think it was clockwork. Yeah. Our numbers just dwindled. So we were kind of in 2000. I mean, Danny was completely off the rails. Yeah. He was kind of just like, I mean, he lost the plot out there. He was obviously yeah. not bang on it. And um, he was just, yeah, he was really out of control. I mean, drinking a lot and, yeah. and just, um, and he was losing interest in it. You yeah, know, he really was. I mean, I mean, did you see that as like his mate? Were you were you seeing it happen and being like, I need to kind of not really. If I'm honest, there. I mean, we didn't. We just carried on doing it. But what yeah. we what we what we lost track of is that 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 we were um we were still doing what we do. But I mean, we were losing DJs because DJs didn't want to play for us because we were so mental. Yeah. I mean, a couple of things happened out there, and and like a few DJs said, I don't want to play for you guys no more. So that was happening. We had the garage music coming in, so that was affecting it because the yeah. scene was changing. Yeah. And I literally was, um, you know, I was DJing. Um, I mean, I was quite lucky because I was obviously quite a big DJ back in them days anyway, and I was doing productions. So I had my stuff, like I had, I had like my big tracks, like my Positiva stuff. So yeah. I was making good money out of my music. So I wasn't in the same situation as Danny because Danny was solely reliant on clockwork. Yeah. Whereas I kind of had, de- I, you know, I was DJing regularly and obviously I had good money coming in from remixing and I was doing, I was doing really well out of the music then because we, we had a, I mean, we had a really, really good thing going. Me, my, my Julian Napolitano is my studio partner. But, but yeah, so I, I just kept, I mean, and literally, yes, yeah, so the clockwork was kind of dying a death. The, pro- the progressive music was coming in. Yeah. It was just changing massively and we kind of didn't really move at the times, if I'm honest. I didn't want to move at the times because I hated Garage and I didn't really like progressive music. So it was kind of like, it wasn't really going anywhere for me. I mean, I remember DJing like about 2002. I mean, I think Clockwork was pretty much on its arse then. And I remember playing in, I was playing in Malta, about 3,000, 4,000 people. And I'm playing all this music. I'm like, I fucking hate this. I'm not, enjoy- I just wasn't enjoying it. I just didn't like the music. I'm playing stuff I don't really like. And unfortunately, I have to play music and make music I like. I can't just do it for the sake of it. You know, I'll be a gun for hire. It's not, it's not what I do, you know. Yeah. I have to be into what I'm playing and yeah. making, you know. Yeah, it's good to have that passion and be that Yeah, principle. I mean, you have to be that. I mean, I yeah. can't sit in a studio and make something that I'm not enjoy making it's no. just not it's just not me no i mean we did a podcast uh, interview with terry farley and he yeah. was like he he summed it up really well in saying that you know listening to a track and thinking oh that'll really work it might really work but if you don't like no. it why play i mean it? i've done some shocking remixes we was talking about it the other day we got we got offered a massive amount of money to do two unlimited and it was the worst song you've ever heard and you laugh i'm like yeah i'm sure we can make it work and it was like just like i mean i, I wouldn't even want to hear what it sounds like now uh, and then yeah so then clockwork kind of um so what was the moment where you're like actually we're stopping this now let's wind it uh, right wind so it we didn't really st- right so danny danny basically had gone completely like schizo mad lost the plot um and then we kind of stopped 
doing S Parody. I we kind of got into a partnership with Danny Newman from Terminals. So we started doing um a night's call together, which is still going now at Amnesia. So I kind of started that night. Me and Danny come up with that concept together. And obviously Clockwork was dying a bit, so we were kind of like working with Danny and doing joint because we still had a, a good following, but obviously we were shot to bits and um but we were Danny basically just come come to me one day and said, I don't want to be in it no more, I want out. And I'm like, all right. So he's like, you know, I want to, I don't want to do it no more. So I was like, okay, fine. So he, 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 he decided he was going to not do it. And I kind of tried to carry it on to an extent. I mean, we did a few joint ventures at, at Eden, I think 2002, we've, it was clockwork and gallery and Danny wasn't involved in that but I mean it's very very strange that never really ever worked unless it's me and him together I yeah. don't know why I don't know what it is um, but the magic's us together you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what it is. It's, I mean, like you know, Danny's an amazing promoter. He does what he does. He's just, um, I mean, mind blowing. Like the way he writes, and he's just bloody good at it. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm a little bit more backseat. I let him take control of the promotion, but Danny just is amazing at creating a whipping up a storm. And well, I mean, obviously, he's that man. I mean, about social town, media didn't even exist then. But you yeah. know, what I'm saying is, Danny was always the, the front man, kind of the party man. I was a little bit more reserved in the back and, yeah. and, and, and yeah but you know so he, so Danny left and it kind of just it rolled on a little bit for a few years I can't even remember because it was kind of dark times and I mean my, my personal experience was like I'd, I mean I'd gone from uh, DJing all over the world to like basically finding like I was like say I've got I've got four residencies and then all of a sudden Oh, then two nights are shut down because the music's no one wants to go no more so they want to go to garage nights and I literally I literally gone from basically having like you know 20 gigs a, w- a month to like two and I'm like I ain't got enough money to pay my mortgage you know what I mean it was literally like it was that quick as well it, was, it wasn't like overnight but it was like it happened that quickly and it was literally I was looking going like well that's gone now that's gone that's gone and I'm like like, what the fuck am I going to do? You know what yeah. I mean? I was like starting to look ahead and yeah. then there was like barren months and I'm like thinking what was the solution? Get a job. Basically, that was it. Uh, Danny went to, um, he, well, he started off as a labourer, yeah. which basically is what I did. So he started off as a labourer for dry lining company. And um, this was obviously around the time when he was um, like going clean. Yeah. So Danny obviously um, had his, uh, you know, he's had his breakdown hit rock bottom and then went started going to AA and obviously you know he was in in the in the program but um so he was obviously off everything you know totally clean and then you know Danny just worked his way up to like you know supervisor um and similar to what I did really so I start I mean literally I rung my mate up and said um you only work he was like yeah you come and help me like carry some planks about and stuff like that and literally I started off as a labourer yeah. so he was uh, he ran a company that did all um, c- c- carpentry work and, um, so I went and kind of worked with him for a bit just like helping out moving stuff about and then um, and then he kind of said oh, right, can you put some screws in and, and I'm like well I can do this so he's like we'll buy a few tools and then uh, so then I kind of worked my way got trained up with the guys and that and then I became a, like a fitter so I was doing um, all the you know all the carpentry stuff and I like so then I went out on price and did that for a while and then eventually I kind of was just like running their jobs for them with um, 15 blokes I'm like well I'm not getting paid for it I'm kind of on a price, which is like, you know, you get money for how much work yeah. you do. And I was like, well, if I'm running jobs and running blokes, I might as well get into management. So that was kind of what I did. I kind of, um, I looked, uh, I, I just basically put out there, I see a job going for an assistant site manager. I went for that, got it. And then they, they literally trained me up. So I did that from, I think I started working doing the site management in 2007. I mean, I was still doing a little bit of DJing because yeah, I've always, I've always DJed. Yeah. 
I mean, they ain't, they weren't great gigs. I used to play at my local wine bar. But listen, I, I love DJing. I play to any. I play to five people in the toilet. Yeah. It don't bother me if they're having a good time. I really don't care. And and I and, you know I've always kind of tried to keep in keep in the DJ. And I mean, obviously, yeah. it's difficult when you're not doing anything, but just local gigs and yeah. and, and and stuff like that. Really. So that was um yeah. So that was from 2007. So obviously, just li- lived a normal life, done yeah. a normal job, went to work every day, didn't make music, yeah. stopped that kind of because obviously I'd lost my mojo really yeah. and. Um, Kept in touch with Danny. I mean, didn't see him as much as we should have done, really. But you know what it's like. Life goes on. We're all kind of doing our stuff. And then what? What? What kind of happened? We started going camping. Danny just said, "Should we go camping?" So we kind of we started doing the camping, and all the boys we we all used to meet up and go over um, Debden, and there's yeah. a big campfield over. We could have a fire and that. And then and then Danny just started like Facebook was there, and we was all on it. And then he just all of a sudden just started putting up all these um, old pictures from Ibiza. So uh, it was just getting so much sort of like comments and feedback he'd never wanted to, he'd never wanted he'd never wanted to do a party Danny because obviously he was in recovery and I mm. think he was scared of yeah. of what would happen if he got put back in that environment no, I get that you know yeah. what I mean and then it was just like more and then he put another like 100 pictures up from 94 to 98 and it was just like oh, man you know just like reliving all these great times we'd had and then I just woke him up one day I was like I, 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 I said you fancy it I mean, fancy what I said you fancy just doing 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 a little get like reunion and he's like do you know what I've done Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. So we were, I was like, what should we do then? He went, I don't know. He said, let's start really small because he said, no one will probably come. So we were like, all right. So we said, well, let's get McQueen's because like, obviously we, we, we might be able to get them because it's a small venue and I think we knew someone there. So we kind of went in there and um, went like, oh yeah, we're, you know, and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, our clockwork, you know. So we said, yeah, we just want to do a little reunion really. We're not too sure how many people are going to come because obviously we haven't done it for like, 10 years or 11 years and um and literally we we were like right okay we got the venue um i mean it was only literally me dan danny was doing dj and of course brandon alex and and a few of the keithy mack and a few of the, the residents and i'm like oh god i like so we were like right it's only small four five hundred he said look the worst case if we get a couple of hundred you know we'll um well whatever we'll see how it goes so i literally put the tickets on and it sold out in a day and we were like <laughs> what it was just like 
what? You know, it's like, what's going on here kind of thing. And uh, yeah, so we'd kind of just hit on this middle age, I wouldn't call it crisis, but basically, uh, you know, like we we kind of hit on this crux of people that have obviously settled down now, got kids, got disposable income and still want to go out and party. And literally... And the kids are a bit older yeah, now. Yeah, and, lo- and, and I mean, literally, most of those people hadn't been out for like 10, 12 years. That was it. That was the start of it. You know, I mean, literally, when we started Clockwork originally, there was hardly anything going. I mean, there was nothing like that. Retro music, you know, playing old school. And uh, yeah, we just kind of right place, right time, I suppose. Yeah. And um, But it, it was, oh my God, you know, I'm out again. Yeah. And I remember, I always remember people coming up to me when we kind of been doing it for about a year and like girls coming up to me going like, I never ever thought, like I've been talking like 45 year old women here, I never ever ever thought I would be in a nightclub again doing this and I'm thank you so much. And and that was the thing, you know, you couldn't walk into, you know, an abode or one of them kind of nights at, at my age. You look like, you know, people are like, who's he? He's like, he's old Bill. You know, you look like, you know, it's just, you just look out of place. And, yeah. and, and, and that's the thing. That's the beauty of clockwork. It's kind of got that old Ibiza kind of, um, you know, like feel because it's like, you know, in Ibiza, age, colour, creed, race, it doesn't matter. 17, 18 year olds with 50 year olds. It's just what Ibiza is. Everyone together having a good time. Basically, that's what clockwork is. Yeah. You know, no discrimination. We don't care who comes. Yeah. As long as they come and enjoy themselves. Absolutely. And from, from that first party, that first kind of reunion party. Yeah. We like shit we've got to go back to Ibiza now no no so we we did it and we were obviously still working and doing our jobs we didn't have another party for a year like for a whole year and we were like should we do another one and Dan's like oh, you know we said well let's do one in oh, like another in a year so then we, we got fire and light box and I was like right obviously it was big but we kind of knew the people were there because obviously the response we'd had from the first one but again same thing so big venue 15, 18, 100 I don't know what old's in there I can't remember now but um, and the same thing but like on sale sold out just like wow you know and again amazing party proper nightclub now because yeah. McQueen's is kind of a bit of a like a, a wine bar-y vibe with a you know like a VIP kind of thing this was a full on what's it called spit and sawdust spit, spit and sawdust venue got a lot of gay nights in there low ceilings like the cross basically yeah. like massive yeah. sound system and it was like literally that's what I said Danny look if we're going to do another one I want it in a proper nightclub I don't want to be doing no bars did it amazing and then I don't even think right, right so let's think so probably that summer was when we first went to Ibiza. And that was when I was I was trying to talk Danny into doing another party and he wouldn't he wouldn't have it. So I'm like, Dan, let's do another one in September. He's like, no, we're ruining the formula. I remember him saying it to me, I'm like, what formula? I said, like, it's just whatever we do. So we were like, we got Area, which is the other Fire and Lightbox Club, which is down the road. So I think that was the... So we flew out to IB for probably around May again to try and uh, tap a few people up. Yeah, so we went... I mean, obviously, that's Parody straight away. Yeah. You know, like Pepe was like... Hey, yeah. Just rewind to that, like, you guys, you're on the flight, you're flying out to Ibiza to, to reignite Clockwork Orange. Like, what what was that feeling? I mean, if I'm like? honest, for me, not a lot, because I've got a place... I've had a place in Ibiza for 15 years, so I, I go there all the time. Yeah. So I, I continually went to IB for every year. Yeah. Since Clockwork's finished, I've been I've been going Ibiza. You know, I've always because I love Ibiza, and I've and like I said, I bought a place out there, yeah. so I've kind of always been going there. Yeah. Even when Clockwork wasn't running, I was still on the island. Yeah. But the two of you together. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. You know, it's just you do, <laughs> look. It's like everyone says this kind of like you know, but you know, it's when you're right, you're doing these things. You just get on with it and do it. I mean, I can't really remember thinking, oh, I mean, I'm probably like excited, you know, yeah. just to be with Danny and going back out there. We did obviously the meeting with, with Pepe straight away. Yeah, of course guys, welcome back. And then we kind of were like, well, we need to do something on the Sunday. So we went, the year before I'd been out there and I'd been to Jason Ball who owns Sands, who's obviously was um, S. Vive. And obviously he's been a very good friend of mine for, for many, many years. So he was like, why don't you do a beach party? So I was like, what do you mean a beach party? He went, well, like what Carl Cox did. I'm like, where? 
He went, Sands? I'm like, I was like, yeah, but will it be any good? He's like, yeah, we'll see, we'll see how it goes, won't we? So we were kind of like, well, I said, all right. And so I said, we had a meeting with Dan, or we went down there and met Jason and had a meet with him. So this was when, anyway, we went, oh, guys, I've had a nightmare show. I've had to move because um, Shwara bought, uh, I think it was Hard Rock where the old Sands used to be. Yeah. And they like they want to change it to something else. So they've I, he got, I've been moved down the road a bit. So I'm like, oh, where are you then? He went, well, just down by Nassau. So we're like, oh, okay. So he's like, right. Well, he said, it's quite cool though. So we went in there. I was like, yeah, it's all right. He said, listen, don't worry. We'll put a sound system in. We'll see how it goes. So we're like, okay. So we kind of like said, right, we're doing um secret beach party because obviously the the laws are a little bit you know yeah. anyway so we called it shush and put a little i mean i don't even think we advertised where i mean we obviously put where it was kept it really quiet and um like obviously as parody the first one was really really good we had a pre-party at mambo's and then the beach was just i mean the first beach wasn't even really that busy it was it was wicked and it was probably about a thousand people or maybe not even that many i think i think the first beach we had like 12 beds the last one we done we had 200 I mean, it, it was bonkers, but it was it was amazing, and it was the vibe was like nothing I'd ever experienced in our beef fight. You're on a beach, you know, you're with your friends, everyone knows everyone, and it was just pretty mind blowing, really. And I was like, like to Danny, how the fuck are we ever going to beat this? I said, it's just amazing. He's like, well, we just have to see, won't we? And and then, um, so yeah, so first year in our beef fight, then obviously we were um, we were getting uh, we went back to Canham. Coco. I mean, God, I can't remember the parties, mate. I, I mean, you know, uh, so we were like, um, yeah, I mean, obviously kind of, we struggled. I mean, Clockwork Orange, when it came back, we used to struggle to get in venues because everyone was like, well, it's that old school night full of old people. Mm-hmm. But the thing was, my my main bargaining tool, which was basically how I got into 338 Printworks and all the, the big clubs that I've managed to get in has been been basically bar spend because our crowd drinks so much and word got about with all these club owners, well, if you have these boys in, you'll take three times as much as you do on a on a normal night. And that was basically how I used to go into these venues, to go in and say, right, I'll treble your bar spend. Um, this is what I took at this club. And they're like, you what? And I'm like, yeah. And they were like, how many people I'm like 1500 like what they're like what like 50 pound a head or not and I'm like yeah you know like and that was kind of um that was how I used to get get my foot in the door you know what I mean amazing amazing and um that was yeah I mean like the print works literally I sold them this dream of them making fortunes on their bars and you know literally like what because I said look our crowd drink like fish they're like they're an older crowd they've got loads of disposable income I said but you will make a lot more money out of having my night than you will out of having one of your young techie nights because yeah. they always drink water and yeah. and they were like, all right, let's give it a go then, you know? So yeah, so I mean like obviously the so I'd be for a been building we was bubbling along and we was doing um you know we were doing like we did three three eight we did building six we did a couple at coco and and the way so i mean the real kind of the real change was printworks because obviously we'd kind of done we'd done parties for you know two thousand whatever three thousand whatever the venues were i don't really know the, the printworks was a big jump up and i had spent a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of time trying to get print works. I mean, I worked bloody hard to get that. I mean, I had to like sell my soul, really. Not not sell my soul. You know, it was it was a it was a tough process because the end of the day, it's print works. They've got the biggest, bestest DJs in the country. Why do they want an old school night that plays classics and? And that was kind of like like so I met met with Gareth the the MD and and like spent I spent ages trying to get to him and I couldn't get to the right person. Yeah. And then a friend of mine who, who runs uh, Peppermint, which is a, like, anyway, he put me in touch with Gareth. Got me in touch with Gareth and then I kind of um, like spoke to him and we were like, and I was like, so I was telling him the kind of what we do. And he was, and I was like, would you do VIP tables? He's like, no, what are they? 
I was like, I'll sell you VR, I'll sell you 100 VRP tables, mate. You know, and he was like, what? What, in advance? And I'm like, yeah. I said, people want to sit down and have a drink at like their table. And it was it was just a bit alien to him all. But we, we got a date and um, sort of luckily we, we we sold it out. So, and that was the, that was when we kind of thought, hello. But it's, you know, obviously Copwork's been building, building over the years and more people are coming and, you know, yeah, we're getting a, you know, more diverse crowd now. Young youngsters are coming, and and it is becoming a, a big snowball. Yeah, that's yeah. going down a hill, you know. So and then and then so the festival. So we we got we, we kind of got approached by um, Chelmsford. I think it was about two or three years ago, probably about three years ago now. And Danny said, "Come down have a look at this guy for like, And I walked in and I'm like, "We're not ready for this yet, mate." You know, yeah. what I mean, as much as I think it's a brilliant venue, we 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 can't do this. So that was kind of how we we got introduced to him. And then we were um we were we, we did the we did the party at three through eight, and um we had a few problems in there. You know, like like length length of drinks times and stuff and just general kind of stuff and I said you know what basically the only way that I can get anything right is if I do it myself as mad as, as, mad as it sounds if I can control everything I can make sure that there's enough bar staff the toilets are lovely you know you, yeah. you're reliant on these clubs yeah. to give you a product and if they fail we fail yeah. so you know like and I said to Danny look Let's just go for it. We've, we're kind of there now. We get we got five thousand at Printworks. I think we'd actually agreed to the festival before we did Printworks, but that was obviously yeah. that was kind of our kind of acid test. If yeah. we could pull that off, and I said, look, we've done that. Let's go for it. So we kind of just said, right, come on in. Yeah, I'd like. I mean, obviously, you, you can imagine like like the organisation that is just bonkers. You know, I mean, we had we had probably a year and a half of hard work planning yeah. so so basically yeah we we, 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 we we went for a, some massive DJs we never had you know we put our bollocks on the line yeah basically. I mean it was and it was raining for a few days beforehand oh God, wasn't it there was a monster thunderstorm two three days before like the like, like, day before ladies day there was a monstrous puddle in the middle I'm just like oh my god but obviously we know you know we know we'd sold the tickets mm. Um, but we spent we, we spent so much energy money and time I mean the DJs are the easy bit I mean, anyone can book a lineup and anyone can play records, but it's the infrastructure and yeah. the experience. And that was what we worked on so hard to make the most amazing thing that people had experienced, you know, like toilets, no queues for drinks, easy to get, like with the wristbands. Yeah. We, we kind of, you know, we've we done a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of research on how the, the, you know, how the venue works. We had two entrances, just things that other festivals don't have. And, and obviously we're very lucky because that the infrastructure in, in Chelmsford is amazing. You've got yeah. like that lovely grandstand. Yeah. They've got blocks of toilets. I mean, we didn't have one portal at Clockstock. It was all luxury toilets. Yeah. And luckily, it paid off. Yeah. Because everyone walked away and said, what an amazing day, best festival I've ever been to. Yeah. I mean, we, we lucked out with the weather. It was like... The weather was incredible. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's gone bonkers. I mean, if you'd have told me seven years ago, like when I was playing down my local wine bar to yeah. 20 people... I'd be doing parties at Printworks and Amnesia, and I would have laughed at you. You know, I know everyone goes, "Oh, you must be so proud." And like, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm very proud of what we do. Mm. But it's just what we do, you know. Yeah. We love putting on parties. I love seeing people dance. I love seeing people enjoy themselves. And it's just what we're good at, you know. Yeah, I, I do get a buzz out of it. I get a massive buzz out of it. But I get more of a buzz out of seeing people enjoy themselves and having a good mm. time. You know, that to me is what makes it all worth it. Yeah. and reading all the lovely comments and you know just basically giving people an escape from their normal nine to five day you yeah. know and come and have a good time and you know that's the thing with clockwork clockwork's become a, like, a community it's, it's 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 so like so many people have met i mean people got married from clockwork you know but they kind of you know our group is like 22,000 or whatever now but everyone knows you know and that's what makes the atmosphere so amazing because everyone knows everyone there 
They're all chatting online before, what you're wearing, where you're meeting. And in a way, they kind of build, well, they do build the buzz for us. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, they are the ones that drive, you know, I mean, we have to just click a button now and go party on and then they all share it. Oh, have you seen they've got da-da-da? And, and, and that's what's so amazing about social media, that really everyone shares it and, and spreads the word. But the clockwork group is very, you know, I mean, it's like people, this guy the other day, like saying he's been really down because he's got mental health issues and everyone's come out, you know, it's, it's just kind of a, it's quite amazing how yeah. lovely it is. You know, there's so much like happiness and love on there. It's it's mental. Yes, yeah, the on best that, on side, page. The best side of social media. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, you, you, you know, social media can work in two ways. Yeah. It can be great and it can be awful. Yeah, and we know that. You know, but I mean, from from the clockwork group, it's just so many people that help out. You know, it's it's lovely. You know, when you read some of the things, yeah. you know, it's great. But aside from social media, how do you think it's changed from the like? Can we call it kind of like the first clockwork iteration and then the second clockwork? What's the kind of major difference? Do you think between the two? Age. <laughs> <laughs> the first one um, I don't know it's a very difficult one to answer because it is I mean it is amazing now is it more enjoyable second time around oh, I, I, I had a bloody good time back in the day I won't lie to you I mean the thing is we're, we're, we're businessmen now we've done a lot of stupid things back in there we spent a lot of money and we basically blew a lot of money on silliness and basically we were young boys living like kings in Ibiza you know but Danny's right in his wrongs now obviously he's um he's got a family now he's very very astute he's on it I mean he was a shocking I mean it's some of the things he, he literally walk in and just go I want 10 grand and grab money and like, I'm like but we got to pay tax like fuck the tax I'll do I'll do a runner so he used to say to me I'm just like oh my god you know what I mean it was just like shocking how he used to like how our business run then but now he's bang on it I mean, it's good now because I mean, I'm, I've turned into the the nutty one kind of thing, and Danny's the sensible one. But, um, but you know, Danny's just um, like I said to you before, he's an amazing promoter. Yeah, he just he's a mag- he's a magician on them um, on the social media. Yeah, he's always been bloody good at it, but he just creates magic, as, as, yeah. as we call it. You know, he really does. And so, clockwork, you're famous for classics harking back to an era and also like a lot of kind of modern updates of those yeah classic i mean tracks. it's evolving now clockwork i mean obviously it's changing um i mean look the, the the festival you get you can have whatever you want there you can have disco old school new clockwork kind of music mains i mean we have a bit of thing for everything but the the kind of the way that the clockwork sound is going now is like you say it, it, it like you know at print works it's kind of we try and start old school from like sort of two to about seven or eight. And then the kind of DJs like myself, Tall Paul, Seb, and the ones that play the latest sets, we're kind of trying to drive like reboots, which is like what I'm making. Yeah. And just kind of new mixes of old tunes, you yeah. know, just, just to freshen it up a bit. Because, yeah. you know, listen, as much as we all love old school, you can't play it all night. And the problem is, it's like like when we have the beach party, we, we, we all play old school all day, but you know, you know what it's like. The DJ that's played five hours after the other one doesn't know he's played. I think one year at the beach we had Alison Limerick played about eight times or something. You know what I mean? It's just crazy. And, and if I'm honest, I love new music, you know, and I love playing new, uh, you know, new music. And yeah, if they're reboots, as long as you still recognise them, it's just a beefed up mix of something that was out 10 years ago. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and you're behind some of the stuff that you're playing now. Yeah, just... I mean, we've been doing really well lately. I mean, we've 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 signed like six tracks in the last sort of five months really so yeah. it's going really I mean it's really kicked in again yeah really kicked in and how do you discover like the new stuff that um, is just is it just you know you're always listening to SoundCloud Spotify uh, or whatever I mean or I'm, or... I, 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 I you know what I, 
There are no record shops anymore. <laughs> no, I mean, obviously, you've got your beat ports and yeah. your um, track sources. And um, I mean, what I try and do is li- listen just to as much music as I can, really, because, you know, you, you I was listening. I had a mix on in the car. And then by pure luck on SoundCloud, it just kicked on to some other mix. And I was like, oh, what's this one? You know, shazamming it really, you know, what I was saying, I don't want to do. But, you know, that's it. You've just got to have your ears on the ground. Yeah. Promos. Obviously, I play a lot of my own stuff that I don't give out to a lot of people. Um, so I've kind of got some exclusive tracks that no one else has got so yeah. I've kind of got a few weapons as I call them that, that you know that no one else can kind of have so it kind of keeps my set fresh yeah. Um, and yeah that's it awesome awesome and that's, that leads through to Perpetual Motion Positiva yeah. you know you and Julian your producing partner um, kind of take us through like how you guys met and how you started and- so basically um, I started wanting to make music um, obviously with DJing Clockwork was going and I was I was really I, I, I hate to say this because he's my best friend now, and and, and he'll help it. And uh, but like I was, I was really into Tall Pauls. Uh, I love Tall Paul mixes. I hate saying that, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, and I was like, I want to make music like this. You know what I mean? And and I kind of wanted to make music, and I I never really I was used to go up all because again I was working in NatWest, so used to go in all them shops and look at like the three hundred threes and all the different machines, and obviously yeah, I never clue how to use them. And then I think I just done a couple of sessions. I I got in somehow in a studio with a, a couple of people. So then. I was like I just come up with kind of started coming up with like ideas and I was like well this sounds good and then I came up with the idea for the so basically Believe in Me which was the situation riff out of Yazoo and the vocal from Fierce Rolling Divas Atomic Slide anyway so so anyway so I booked a session in our studios went in there Julian was the engineer so I've done the track you know this is what I want blah 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 Got on really well with him. Really, really lovely guy. So I did a... I paid for the studio for the day, basically. So we did the track. Ouch had a label, which... And they were like... And I was like, oh, what do you think of it? They're like, nah, not for us. And don't think it would do any good. So I was like, oh, I walked away anyway. So someone... I think we put out... I think I put out some white labels. I did. I bought some white labels. Literally, um, I got... It'd been out about a week. And I think it had my number on it. It had Mankey, believe in me, and my phone number. And I literally get a call, like, out the blue. Oh, Hello. Is this Andy or Mankey? I'm like, yeah. Like, Hi, it's the Ministry of Sandy. I'm like, all right. They're like, yeah, um, your track. I was like, I was like, right. And they're like, yeah, we want to sign it. And I was like, you what? <laughs> and literally, so it was like that. They signed it. No way. And uh, and and what I and basically because I'm such, such a lovely bloke, guys. You know what I mean. But what I did because Julian had worked bloody hard on it, I I I kind of rang him up and said, "Look, you made this track with me. You know, yeah. I know like I've bought I bought it out, but I want you to have fifty percent of it." Yeah. And basically, that was it. We were, we were like, you know, we've been brothers ever since. No we, way. You know, we've had um, so yeah. So so Julian kind of um, yeah. So what I said, I I, I, caught, I obviously offered him half the money and said, look, you know, you know, fair's fair. Yeah. You've done all the work. I mean, I know you're an engineer at a studio and you get paid, but I said I want you to be part of this. Yeah, and, yeah. And obviously he was just like, wow, you know, what an amazing offer. And that was it, really. So then we started working together quite so heavily. But we, 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 what we did, we, we, we went from so ouch. He left ouch, and then he became an engineer at uh, Crosstracks, um, and that was where we basically all the magic kind of happened. So we had an absolutely amazing productions. We had like um, Paul Harris, who's, who's um, Dirty Vegas. Yeah, so Paul, it yeah. was me, Julian, Fion Lucas, who was doing some really cool stuff. And I mean that 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 times was just 
boom times. We made some amazing stuff in there. And, and then we always do, like, you know, really good tunes. And then I kind of, the, the cross was next door. Like, so literally the studio was next door to the cross. And I went in there one night. Uh, we were working late on a Friday. And I went, I'm going to go to the cross for a, for a few. Anyway, I'm standing in now. And I just got this, like, the DOP. It was Dance Your Socks Off. And I'm like, do you know what? And I don't know how it came about. And I was like, that would work with that little uh, Run DMC. And I, I went back into the studio. I went, Joe, just had an idea. And he went, all right. He said, yeah, that sounds like that works. So we, I bought the records in the, the next week. And basically, I think we knocked it out in about eight hours it was just like it was that quick but some yeah. the thing is these tunes come the best ones come together quickly yeah yeah, yeah. as mad as it sounds it's um so uh, so and then literally again so we done we did a green 10 inch vinyl I remember I was going skiing we, we, I went skiing with Tall Paul and, and, and all the boys and that and we was out there it was 98 they like rung me up and they were like we sold like 10,000 copies and I'm like you what it just went absolutely ballistic. And then literally we had a bidding war going on. We had like Positiva, London, um, Manifesto. Everyone was trying to sign it, offering yeah. us like like their mum's false legs and everything just to sign it. Like whatever, like, like we could have five remixes. And I always wanted to go with Positiva because I'd always wanted to have a track on Positiva. And obviously I loved what they were doing. Yeah. And yeah, and we got, um, I mean, it, it went, I think it went to number eight in the charts. It done bloody well. I mean, and that was the thing. I was earning money at, you know, when we talk about Danny and and I, I was like I was, I was doing really well at it and obviously because that kind of blew up so much I was getting um I was doing gigs like in Tokyo and Hong Kong and like places off the back of that so yeah. I was kind of busy and yeah and we kind of um again studio we, we had our own studio so we, we, we eventually we left cross tracks and we opened our own studio in um Greenwich but it's it's a similar kind of thing to what I was saying about the music you know with the with the clubs we were making music we loved and we were just finding that the, the, the sound was changing so much I just couldn't put any heart into it I, I just yeah. didn't enjoy it and it was trying to copy what was big and I was just like nah yeah. I, I can't do this no more and Julian obviously carried on because it was his job so he, he, he when I kind of like left he took on the kind of um, he was doing a lot of remixes for like I mean he was doing Beyonce Robbie Williams he's done some like amazing yeah. work like, yeah. with, with really mega stars and then like I mean obviously me like me and Julian are like brothers like, I mean he's a brother I haven't got you know I've known him for known him since probably 96 and we, we like we argue and fight like brothers like you know we got each other's backs and then always kept in touch always sending me music what do you think of this no nah, not, not sure don't like it then obviously clockwork re was reborn and then I'm like do you know what like what Danny said to me I fancy it again you know so we kind of started just fiddling about and doing a few tracks and um, a couple of years of just making booties and, and stuff that you know like people were um, I mean I was just playing stuff out we would just pick an old track up and beef it up a bit and then we kind of just um started I mean probably not even that long ago two years ago and we done we done the res um, we did the res cover I played it at the first print works it obviously took the roof off and literally it, it was like people want to sign it you know and we're like here we go but anyway, so yeah, so we, we, we've kind of just been doing, working and, and just literally the last year, it's just literally exploded. We've, we've signed like three to New State, two to Phonetic and like obviously the, the, the big one is the Tool Room, the Tool yeah. Room track. So literally we're working on a track and <laughs> we had an absolute shocker. We'd been in there all day and it was just like, 
this is so shit. We were like, I was like, this is, this is going to get something to eat. It's not working. And um, so uh, we kind of went, because Julian Studio's in his house. He's got a lovely country house in um near near Northampton. Right. Peacock's in the gardens. It's the most beautifful setting you could want to make music in, you know. Yeah. And we and that's the thing. We vibe there. We get really, you know, it's, it's just nice to be in a relaxing atmosphere. And it makes such a difference. I mean, I used to love working in London, but going up there, you just chill. You sit outside, you have a coffee, you know, yeah. you, you just take, you know, take a bit of fresh air. And literally, we come back about nine. We was watching telly. I said, come on, let's just go and have one last crack at it. And literally within two hours, we've got this just amazing kind of riff going. Got a vocal on it. And, and I literally did an instant little video it wasn't even finished it was just being worked on and, and I literally did a little video went yeah sounding good put it on Insta two hours later Mark Knight messaged me he goes what's that track you're working on and I'm like oh it's, I don't know it's not really finished yet so he says send it over so I said alright give me a couple of days so I sent it I think we were working on the Tuesday I sent it over to him on the Wednesday night he rings me out Thursday night and he goes mate that is massive and I'm like really he's like He's like, it sounds like the new camel fat. And I'm like, oh, shut up. And he's like, I'm telling you, I've listened to it 20 times. He said, it is massive. And he said, what, what are your plans with it? And I'm like, I don't know. He's like, well, I want to sign it. I was like, and it was like, literally from a bloody 10 second snip on Instagram. Wow. And that's due out on the 28th of October. So that's, uh, I mean, look, we don't know it's going to go. You know, it's like anything. In, it's a rule, It's a Russian roulette in it, music, you know. But I mean, it's an amazing track. Yeah. Um, Mark's beefed it right up he's re-edited re re it and it yeah. sounds like amazing two of them have had some of the massivest hits like you know like Feel My Needs and all them big tunes that went to number one in the charts so we're with a bloody good label they know what they're doing you got Mark Knight behind you he's one of the best producers in the world you know what I mean so let's see what happens yeah I mean it's so 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 different to what we I mean literally what we used to do 20 years ago is make a record go to a Marto, press up 2000 sell it if it sold out we'd make more and then you might sign it and and it was literally the record shops pushing your stuff to all the djs yeah and that's the thing because like then you know you had mate i'd mates in like um all the all the, all the shops and that and they were like oh mate, i'll catch a copy of this you know what i mean and i'm like yeah and that's the thing because you kind of had friends that were listening to, and they knew what the good stuff was so they give the good stuff to the right djs yeah. like plastic fantastic that's yeah, what i'm trying to think of like yeah. johnny orange and all yeah, the boys yeah. and they literally would like that i had a box so anything wicked coming went in my box so i'd rock in and they'd be like here you go boom like 200 records and i'm like bloody hell but that was how you kind of got the good yeah. stuff because they always looked after their regulars and that was the thing but now you've got to go and search and I've I've put tracks on when we did a little Clockwork Orange label I put tracks on on Beatport and you're in like basically a, a, a like a techno, technological abyss aren't you there's no way of finding it no. how'd you find that track yeah. Unless you know what it's called, yeah. or unless you've got a, a, a bookmark or whatever they called, or you're in a, in a chart, yeah. And that's the whole thing with electronic music now. How do people? get their music out there if they haven't got a banner or something like that it's very very difficult, so difficult. to get your song but that's why Spotify and, and SoundCloud and all these things are helping I'll tell you a funny story actually because we've just redone a, a Perpetual Motion track it was going yeah. out on New State and we were like can you set up a Spotify account we're like there's already one spit up some geezer has got our Perpetual Motion with a picture of him like with gold teeth and we're like who the fuck is this geezer so we've had to basically we've got it back now we've claimed it back from him but it's yeah. mad so he'd claim Perpetual motion with all our tracks on it from oh, all no our way. old all I mean. our old Positiva stuff he's on this guy and he's like yeah like a right, proper like roadman from like Hackney or something with all these um, all these pictures of like, him, like giving it all that kind of thing with his rings Brilliant. on and all that yeah so but yeah so that's that's I mean that's the thing it's music is is just mentally mentally different from what it was like yeah. really like promotion because you used to have a give out flyers post stuff and yeah. now push a button but that's the thing. It's it's very very difficult to because there's so much product out there. Yeah. 
how do you get it out there yeah. and how do you get it heard yeah you know awesome awesome and that's, that leads through to like the tunes for our playlist that we've chosen you've been really good at giving them us up front mm. like what we do is every interviewee we get five tracks different themes put them in a playlist yeah and you know people can just follow it discover it and you know there's yeah. there's a whole host of different genres on there and stuff like yeah. that and we always try and start with that first track that was the catalyst for getting you into dance music well that, that you've was already not, mentioned yeah it. nitro deluxe basically so um yeah obviously Got, went to my local shop when I used to live in Walthamstow, bought a copy, had it on a mix CD or something, bought a copy, then discovered that I could mix it with um, Derek B. Yeah. And that was really my kind of where I class my transition into wanting to be a DJ or experimenting with music and, and, and house music. Yeah. So for me, that was kind of the, the pivotal moment of when I thought, hang on, this is fun. You is it I mean? a track that you still want to play out? Or I, is I it, mean, I've got a really, a really good place? mix of it, actually, really? that I do do play. I mean, it's a couple of years old now, but yeah. it, is, it is really good. So, um, yeah, awesome. so yeah, I do still play it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and a floor filler, an instant floor filler, you've chosen Josh Wink. Yeah, I've just gone for something that, I mean, obviously, look, I could give you a thousand records yeah, that I, I could play, but I've just gone for something that, that, that reminds me of the epitome of clockwork in, in the in the late 90s, Yeah, and just seeing it just absolutely blow the place apart, you know, and I remember that year, that was just the tune. I mean, look, clockwork was obviously, by the time that got played, clockwork was in full flow anyway, so it wouldn't really matter when you played it, it but... Just it's just something that you know if you had a dance floor that wasn't really rocking, you'd put that on the place would just go like a bloody tidal wave. Yeah, you know? it's pure pure filth. Yeah, that track. Yeah, yeah. For me, that was the that was the year when we were just having it off, and it was just amazing. You know, yeah. every party was absolutely heaving. Yeah, so I kind of just thought of something that reminded me of just the, the amazing days and just you know as soon as it come on the place just used to erupt a sunset tune i mean you guys do a lot of stuff at mambo as well yeah yeah i've gone for the uh nightmares, nightmares on wax, wax one because yeah. it's just such a lot of i think danny song. chose les nuits the other oh, one did as well. he? Yeah. <laughs> okay yeah. but yeah you've gone for nights interlude yeah yeah, yeah. It's... it's just like sitting there watching the sun go down glass of sangria whatever Nothing better. No. And a tearjerker. I mean, we asked, like, it doesn't necessarily have to be house music. No. So you've gone for Pink Floyd, yeah. Shine On You Crazy Diamond. Yeah. Is that of a special meaning for you in any sense? I or? just, I mean, obviously, like I say, it reminds me of my dad. But, like, I remember, I always remember my dad, like, always remember Dark Side of the Moon. Because he used to play the one with the, the clocks and it used to shit the life out of me. Because I was only, like, five, I can't remember how old I was, but I remember it used to kind of, and the, and but I just always remember my dad playing Pink Floyd, and I love that song, I've always loved that song, and we kind of, we, we went to see Aussie Pink Floyd, I mean obviously you can't see Pink Floyd now, but so we, we went to a couple of their concerts, and I've had just nights where I could just sit there, and again I've seen an amazing sunset that was that was played, yeah. and they timed it so right, so when the down, 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 the sun yeah. dipped behind the sky, and it was just, it was like, oh my god, like goosebumps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and yeah, and I remember like so, like me and my dad one night come back here, we'd had a few drinks, and we were just sitting here with the lights off playing that. And it just reminds me of him, and yeah. just like I love the song, an emotional kind of. I, yeah. I, you know, I didn't want to go. I just it's something that I can always hear and just stop. Yeah, I want to listen to this. It's, it's thirty minutes long for Christ's sake. Yeah. You know what I mean? It goes on forever, but. It builds and it's just yeah. a beautiful song. It's a journey, yeah. isn't it? A real journey. Yeah. Um, and the last tune, 
which will probably be because this is the last episode in this series we're doing um, of the podcast. This is episode 10. We'll come back in the new year um, and this will be the last tune on the whole playlist for a while. It's Frankie Knuckles, Your Love. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, do you know what? I've been playing, there's a new uh, Kolsch mix out, but I've been playing that, which is amazing. Yeah. But I've just decided to go for the original for this because it's just an absolute weapon, isn't it? You yeah. know, you know what I mean. Sing along. Just, yeah, can't beat that. Can't beat it. Classic. And one kind of final question is: um, we are kind of house culture, and we always ask our guests, "What does house culture as a whole scene, a movement? What does it mean to you? Just could you sum up what impact it's had on your life?" I mean, look. On, on, from the clockwork kind of if you know because obviously it's what I do just like amazing nights met amazing you know, met amazing people friends that have become like friends for a very long time that I've met through basically music just community in it really I mean clockwork is like what I said to you it's like a kind of um, I wouldn't call it a cult <laughs> but you know just you'll wear orange like minded people <laughs> basically doing what what we want to do which is go out and have a good time listen to good music and forget your troubles perfect and that's it really. amazing that is somewhere great to end on I think yeah cool. perfect thank you so much house culture thank you Andy what a pleasure it was not only to sit down with you but to do it in the comfort of your own home Thanks for the hospitality, Mr. Manston. As you heard, Clockwork are going to continue to push the boundaries of this scene and already have a huge amount of great parties and locations lined up for the coming months. Make sure you stay tuned to all of their socials as they have some very exciting announcements coming soon. So, in terms of those tracks we discussed, you can find them all on House Culture's Perfect Playlist on Spotify. These were Andy's Catalyst, which was Let's Get Brutal by Nitro Deluxe. Is absolutely filthy floor filler that is Higher State of Consciousness by Josh Wink. His Sunsetter, which was Nightmares on Wax's Night's Interlude, fitting right alongside Danny Clockwork's choice of Les Nuit. His tearjerker was Shine On You Crazy Diamond by Pink Floyd. And yes, I have got and put the full 13 and a half minute version on there. Turn the lights low and listen to that on full blast. And his last tune was, of course, the unbeatable Your Love by Frankie Knuckles, a stone-cold classic. Also, I always like to treat you guys to a few extras, so I've chucked on D.O.P.'s Here I Go from their Dance Your Socks Off EP. That's the one that Andy heard in The Cross and was inspired to sample it for his and Julian's perpetual motion single that got signed to Positiva. You can check out all of these tracks and more on House Culture's Perfect Place on Spotify. Search for it, follow it, so not only will you not miss out on the choices from our podcast guests, you'll also get a regularly updated selection of beats that cover every facet of dance music. Once again, that's House Culture, Perfect Playlist, it's on Spotify. Once you're done there, please support us by subscribing, loving, liking, tweeting, sharing and not forgetting to leave us a review. You could always get you a mention on a future episode. So this time around... Our shout-out goes to Mike Jones, who got in touch via email to say he's been listening to podcasts for a few years, and now that he's discovered house culture, he's basically binged the whole series and has loved getting the insights into our guests' lives and creative journeys. Well, Mike, 
thanks so much for the amazing words. We hope that the end of this first series doesn't put too much of a hole in your listening schedule. Don't panic though. So we will be back in the new year with a whole new bunch of familiar faces. And if you've got this far into the podcast and still don't know what house culture is all about, we are a collective of house music fans who have come together through their mutual love of the beat to celebrate the spirit of house music. Hit up our Instagram feed at housecultureNet or follow the hashtag TrueHouseCulture to make sure you do not miss out on what's happening in the scene or the launch of Series 2 of the House Culture Podcast. And finally, you can reach out to me, Matt Rouse, directly on Instagram at DJ Matt Rouse. Thanks for listening. See you in the new year. House Culture. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.